Well, good morning, Christian world. We're going through the book of Mark, and uh, we've titled this series, On Your Mark. We're doing a virtual run, and uh, I will tell you, I have the largest crowd in here that I've preached to in eight weeks. We invited our immediate staff that sit around our uh, staff table on our Tuesday meetings, back when we were meeting in person. We're now meeting through Zoom, 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 Zoom. It seems like all we do is Zoom. Everybody is Zoomed out. But I invited our immediate staff to come here today for our service, and it has really been sweet to be able to worship together. We're socially distanced and, and spread out. But I'm preaching to the largest crowd, so if I have stage fright today, you'll know why. It's just a few people, but it's, it's good to see live people, and I can't wait to, until I see you. Let's go through the book of Mark I, uh, I, I talked last week about the, the fact that Jesus can come to your house the first week. Then in chapter 2, I preached to you that there's a miracle in your house. I want to talk to you about hope today. As I've continued through the book of Mark, I've just seen that with God, there is always hope. There's a saying that where there's life, there's hope. I just want to tell you that where there's God, there's hope. That with God, it's impossible to not have hope. Whatever your situation is, with God in your situation, your situation can change. God sees the big picture. He sees the end from the beginning. God sees every detail. While we see a microcosm, God sees the big picture. I read this story that when Earl Weaver was the manager of the Baltimore Orioles, he had a rule that no one could steal a base unless they had been given the steal sign. And so this upset the star player, Reggie Jackson, because he felt that he knew the pitchers and the catchers well enough that he could judge who he could steal off of. And so in one of the games, Reggie Jackson went ahead and decided to steal without a sign. And he got a good jump, and he easily beat the throw to second, so he's safe there. And as he shook the dirt off his uniform, Jackson smiled with delight, feeling that he had vindicated his judgment to his manager. And like, man, I really, I really did good. But later, Weaver took Jackson aside and explained to him. He said, I want to tell you why I did not give you the steal sign. First, the next batter was Lee May, his second best power hitter. And when Jackson stole second, this left first base open so that the other team now could walk May intentionally, taking the bat out of his hands. Second, the next batter had not been strong against that pitcher, and so Weaver felt that he had to send up a pinch hitter to try to drive in the men that were on base. And that left Weaver without bench strength now, later in the game when he needed that strength. The problem was, Jackson was just seeing his relationship to the pitcher and the catcher. But the manager was seeing the entire game. And sometimes we as individuals feel like that we can see and know what's best in this situation. But there is a master architect that knows what's best because he knows the end from the beginning. Have you ever gone through a trial and you're thinking, man, I can't see how this is going to work out for my good, but you get to the other side of it and you realize why B had to come before C. 
and C had to come before D. And you realize that God really knew what he was doing. So in chapter 2, there was a miracle in your house. Chapter 3, let's just go through some of the high points. And I want you to be reading with me. We're going to have uh, time together. And we have our small groups. And you go to our website. And I want to encourage you to be discussing this with someone. Two are better than one. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. And so go through the book and discuss it with someone. I have a few of you that are reading ahead. And you're sending me emails of, of different inspirations and things that you're seeing. But in chapter 3, there's a, a man shows up at the synagogue. And the Bible said that he had a withered hand. His, his grasp was impaired. His ability to feel and to touch had been damaged. He no longer has the ability that he, that he once had because his hand is shriveled. His hand is withered. His strength has been taken. You know, I, I was thinking as I read this this, this past week, Maybe he had been a musician and he lost his ability to play the stringed instruments or to play uh, whatever musical instrument it was. Maybe he had a career that had been damaged or lost because he lost strength in his hand. And so he comes to the only place where he feels that there's hope. He comes to Jesus and he comes to the synagogue and he, he comes looking for help and looking for hope, but because it is the Sabbath, the Bible said in Mark 3 and verse 2, some of the religious crew were actually looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. And so they're watching closely to see, is he going to heal this man on the Sabbath? How's he going to handle this? How's he going to handle the law? And I will tell you, when it comes to Jesus, he was always more concerned with the need than he was fulfilling the, the expectations of the religious zealots. They, they were trying to trap him. What is he going to do because it's a Sabbath? But Jesus cared more about helping the hurting than pacifying public opinion. I don't know what your pain is or what you're experiencing today, but I want to tell you that Jesus cares about what we care about. He cares what we're going through. It's shocking to see human nature that cared actually more about proving a point and finding fault in the leadership, finding fault with Jesus than they did about seeing this man that was in trouble being healed. They cared more about making a point than making a convert. They cared more about making a point than they did seeing this man receive a miracle. They cared more about finding fault with Jesus than finding a cure for the man's disease. They wanted to make a point, and so they're watching what is he going to do. But Jesus walked right through all of their feelings and all of their fault-finding, and he went to the man with the withered hand. He went to the man with a need in his life. He went to the man that came looking for help and looking for hope. And I want to tell you, wherever you are and whatever's going on, there is hope in Jesus. Where there's Jesus, there is hope. Jesus walked right through public opinion. He walked right through the fog and the feelings of the religious crew that were trying to judge him. What is he going to do on the Sabbath? And he walked right through that and walked to the man with a need. And he said to the man, stretch forth your hand. What do you do when God tells you to do something you don't have the power to do? 
What do you do when God tells you to stretch forth your hand when you're dealing with a withered hand that hasn't worked in years? What do you do when the master gives you a command that you're not physically able to perform? Anytime God speaks a word to you that is impossible for you to perform, you know that he's getting ready to perform something. He said stretch. And what I want to say to you today is your next miracle may just be one stretch away. You might be one stretch away from the greatest miracle in your life. That man stretched forth his hand. Your miracle could be in your desire and in your willingness to stretch, to stretch yourself, to stretch your thinking. I can tell you that the last nine weeks to to ten weeks, it has caused us as a team to stretch. That's why I invited the staff here. They've worked long hours, and particularly the first few weeks when we were told uh, in a day that we need to shut the church down and relaunch now and come to you online. We had to close one church one day and open a brand new church, an online church the next day. And so my staff and my team, they've worked so hard. And so I, I just, I, I made a video and sent to them, just a few of them yesterday. And I said, I, I want you to come, come be with me and, 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 and let's, let's, let's worship. I want to reward them for their hard work. And, and, and we're, we're unveiling and opening the church and coming back in faith and believing and knowing that God has us. We're not being uh, careless. We're being cautious, but we're walking in faith in God that God knows our steps and he orders our steps and he will keep us and he will keep that which we've committed to him. Somebody give God a good amen. You can give a thumbs up there uh, online or shout amen in the in the, uh, in the channel, whatever, whatever area you're watching on. Chapter 3, then, it ends with Jesus telling them to never blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's in chapter 3. He said there's one sin that will never be forgiven, and that is if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to give a, a full Bible study on that. That is something that people always want to know about because it is the only sin that cannot be forgiven, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. I do want to say this to you, though. If you're asking the question, have I blasphemed the Lord? Have I blasphemed his spirit? If you're asking the question, you probably haven't blasphemed. I don't want the enemy to take this uh, portion as you're reading through this and try to weaken your faith. I remember as a child uh, and as a, as a, you know, as a, a, young, a young man hearing about this, that if I blasphemed the Holy Spirit, that was one sin that would never be forgiven. And I remember the devil coming to me and saying, you've blasphemed. You'll never be forgiven. And so I went to my dad and said, well, what does this mean? Can I never be forgiven? And, and, and my dad said, son, the simple fact that you have faith enough to even care about that and ask means you've not blasphemed. So I don't want the enemy to use the word of God against you because the devil knows the word too, and he'll twist the word and try to destroy your faith. But have faith in God. Chapter 3 ends with that. Chapter 4, I'll not cover the chapter. It's about the sower and the seed. There's a lot there, and it it talks about the mustard seed and mustard seed faith. And then we get to chapter 5, and in chapter 5, Jesus uh, steps off the boat, and there's already a crowd there waiting for him. When I was reading this, it made me remember a few years ago, we were in Los Angeles. Uh, After my father passed, I always enjoy going back to Oceanside, California, where my dad received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Where, where God got a hold of his heart and saved him as an 18-year-old surfer. And so I, I, I would trace his steps up and down the, the West Coast. And, and so I, I remembered a few years ago, we were out there and we were in L.A. And my daughter's 
told me that they wanted me to take them to some street, uh, some particular place. There was a famous YouTuber that was, that was going to be there and, and, uh, and famous YouTubers. Wow, it, it's crazy what all is going on on, on uh, social media and on YouTube. And right now I'm preaching to you the gospel on YouTube. And I'm preaching to you about a man who can help you. And so anyway, I, I took my daughters and we could see a couple blocks away the line that was already there. Someone had found out and the word had spread that this famous YouTuber was going to be at a certain place. Well, this is what is going on with Jesus. They didn't have YouTube. They didn't have Facebook. They had their own way of getting the word out and they, they would find out as you read through the book of Mark, they would find out where is he going next and they would go and wait for him and they would crowd him. I was reading here in one place it said the, the house got so crowded where he was that they couldn't even eat. Now that's bad news. I've seen some of you and it looks like some of you have lost some weight during this pandemic. It looks like some of you have been eating healthy and exercising and I couldn't help but laugh with one of the uh, little comic pictures that I saw a few days ago. A guy was trying to put on his work blue jeans and said, well, it's time to go back to work after the pandemic and his clothes wouldn't fit him. The Bible said that the house got so crowded where Jesus was that they couldn't even eat. He had to leave the place. They were crowding around him and so Jesus steps off the boat. There's a crowd there. He runs into a man that had heard that he was there. And he said to the man, what is your name? And the man said, my name is Legion. Legion. Legion means many. He was possessed by many demons. He was so full of the devil that he was called Legion, which means many. But Jesus says, it doesn't matter how many. It doesn't matter how much? It doesn't matter how bound. Because the Bible said that this man, you, you've probably already read it, but if you haven't, you can read with me in chapter 5. This man was so bound by demonic spirits, they would try to bind him with chains because he was doing crazy stuff. And he was so full of the devil that the Bible said he would break the chains that were trying to hold him. A chain couldn't hold him, but Jesus comes with the power of his word he says, I want to set you free. I know your name is Legion, but I want to give you a name change. I, I thought of something that I read this past week. There was a, one of the great Bible teachers and authors was going through one of the uh, little streets in a foreign country, and he walked up on a little tattoo studio, and in the window were displayed samples of available tattoos, and you could get them on the chest or on the arms, and you could have tattooed an anchor or a flag or a mermaid and different things that they're displaying. But what struck this Bible teacher's mind and eyes is when he saw three words that were there as a sample. And those three words were born to lose. You can have it tattooed on you, born to lose. And the Bible teacher stopped and went in and asked the man, in astonishment, he said, does anyone really have that terrible phrase tattooed on his body, born to lose? And the tattoo artist replied, yes, sometimes they do it. The Bible teacher said, I, I just can't believe that anyone would want to put it on their body. I'm born to lose. And the owner of that shop, 
he just simply tapped his forehead and said in broken English, before tattoo on body, it's already tattooed on the mind. It's already tattooed there. This man said, my name is Legion because he had accepted the identity that Satan had tried to put upon him. I want to tell you today, God wants to give you a new name. He wants to give you a new identity. And he wants to set you free from whatever would hold you captive. This, this is an, an example to us of what the Bible says, that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. But God can change your name from legion to freedom. He can change your name from bound to free. He can change your name from cursed to blessed. He can change your name from sick to healed, from down to up, from defeated to victorious, from negative to absolutely positive that I know my Redeemer lives. I know I shall come forth. In fact, you might ought to just say that wherever you are right now. I shall come forth. I shall come forth because we are the children of the Most High God. And then in 5... Uh, 22, one of the leaders of the synagogue, which was a small temple, they, they would have many synagogues in each city. And one of the leaders came to that of the synagogue came to Jesus. And I'm going to close with this Bible story. He came to Jesus and he fell at his feet, the Bible says, in chapter 5 and verse 22. This leader of the synagogue fell at the feet of Jesus. And he pleaded earnestly with him and he said, my daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus starts toward the man's house. But an interruption occurred and I can't talk about that interruption. My wife is going to talk about that at some point. But a lady with an issue interrupted Jesus while he was on his way to the house of this leader to heal his daughter. Sometimes it feels like interruptions happen in our miracle. Sometimes it feels like that while Jesus was trying to get to us, something stepped in and interrupted him. But I want to tell you today, even when it seems that Jesus is interrupted, he's still walking on purpose and he's walking on task. God can take what the enemy meant for evil and work it for your good. And we started this year saying that this is the year of the turnaround and I'm still standing on that and holding to that, that God will turn it and work it for your good. Somebody give God a good amen. God's going to take your situation and turn it and work it for your good. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of of Jairus, he was the leader. And they said to, to them, your daughter is dead. Why even bother the teacher anymore? In other words, they brought a hopeless situation. And when Jairus came to Jesus and said, they've, they've brought word that my daughter is dead, Jesus said this in verse 36 in the New Living Translation. Jesus said, don't be afraid just have faith I'd like to say that to all of us today don't be afraid just have faith just have faith fear is much more dangerous than the flu 
Fear is much more paralyzing than the virus. Fear is spreading over our nation and has spread over our nation like a virus. And God just, he looked at this situation and just said to that man, listen, don't be afraid. Just have faith. I've not lost my power. I've still got it. I I know that I was interrupted and and paused and I took care of another situation, but I, I still got you. I still know where you are. What this world is experiencing right now is something new for all of us. But it's nothing compared to the power of God. And I hear the words of the Apostle Paul where he said this this light affliction, this temporary affliction, this stuff we're going through right now, it is temporal, it's temporary. But he said it's nothing compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. I want to hold to that word. I want you to claim that word today. I want you to hold to that word in your heart and spirit. The temporary trial that you're going through right now is nothing to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in you. Listen, we have more cures today. We have more medicine, more technology. We have more science than we've ever had before. So our, our, our nation is in God's hands. But I want to tell you, I have more faith than I've ever had before. I believe our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above anything we could ask or think. If you believe, one guy from Mississippi to where I was raised, he said to me, he said, we found the cure for the virus in Mississippi. I said, what's that? He said, take our news, take our iPads, take our TVs, take all the news and throw it out in the front yard. He said, that cures it for us. Because listen, the fear, (laughs) they've been talking about in the news, we don't want the cure to be worse than the problem. Fear is a problem that will paralyze us. And Jesus is saying to you today, don't fear, just have faith. Just have faith. God comes to you in hope. Bob Garfield did research on three major publications in our nation. And he wrote stories on how these publications predicted this pandemic would happen and would take so many lives. And so Garfield added up all the predictions of the articles and he put together from three different newspapers and he discovered that they had predicted that five, listen, 543 million Americans would die from this pandemic. The problem with that is there are only about 350 million Americans. And so the prognosticators and the predictors They can't get it right. But Jesus always gets it right. I bring to you the gospel, the good news. Jesus told that father, don't fear, just believe. Jesus gets to their house. He hears them weeping and wailing in a commotion. He says, why are you guys guys so troubled? Because Jesus sometimes sees things so differently than we do. With God, nothing shall be impossible. The Bible said that Jesus took the child's father and mother, went in with them, along with just his chosen prayer team. I don't have time to talk about this, but it came back to me again this week as I was, as I was studying for this. I said it last, last Sunday. I said, it's impossible to have a right life with wrong people in your life. And I want you to notice in Mark chapter 5, 
And Jesus got ready to go into a troubled situation. The Bible said he didn't take everybody with him. He just he picked Peter, James, and John. He picked a selected crew. He said, I need people with faith with me. Because the Bible tells us that even in Nazareth, there was one place that even Jesus could do no mighty works because of their unbelief. I want to challenge you. Get with believers. Get with right people. Surround yourself with people that have faith in the God that you love. Surround yourself with right people so you can have a right life. That's why I promote to you to have a small group. Have a group of two or three or four or five that you can pray together. I've been on several of the Zoom calls with different ones of our, of our church family and different small groups praying and believing and holding fast to faith in God. I just want to tell you today, your situation does not take God by surprise. He already knew in advance, and He already has your answer. My mother used to sing the song, The Answer's on the Way, This I Know. My Jesus said it, I believe it, and it is so. That's what happened. The answer was on the way. He came to the house. Why are you so afraid? Why are y'all carrying on so much? He walked in and took this little girl by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Get up. Exclamation point. Get up. Exclamation point. It's almost as if I could hear the Lord just saying to us as I was reading this, get up. Get up and believe. Get up and dream again. Get up and believe that I can that I can do what I said I would do for you. Get up and believe. I close with this story. There was a pastor named Tim and had a doctor in his congregation who was part of an open heart surgical team. And they, they asked the pastor, would you like to come in and be a part of an open heart surgery or two? And because we know that you're interested in science and we've already cleared it, it would be fine. And he said, yeah, the pastor, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. He said, okay, well, you can stand at the head of the patient, but don't cause any disruption. Just stand there and be a part of this. And so the pastor told the story of how he was so shocked. As he watched this and they're in the OR and They begin working on the patient. He watched them, saw the sternum and go down into the chest to open it up. And it was incredibly fascinating watching all this. And the pastor said it was funny because the surgeons do this kind of thing so often. It was no big deal to them. But he's just standing there in, in shock, see technology at, at work and, and science at work. Because they many times would do four to five open heart surgeries a day he said that the surgeons would work on a heart and, and would carry on conversations and because they it was just it was common to them it, it was just they were doing their work it'd be like some of you building a cabinet or, or, or some of you doing you know the construction work the, the things that you do so on the, the second patient they disconnected the heart and the machine was pumping blood through the patient's body and they worked on the heart, making the repairs they needed to make. When it came time to put things back in place, the doctors tried several methods to restart the heart, and they couldn't get the heart to start back up. 
And the room became very tense. And this pastor said, I could tell the room had tensed up. And I stood there just watching to see what they would do. And the head surgeon had exhausted all the methods that they typically use to cause the heart to restart. And he said, I watched this surgeon as he leaned over and spoke into the ear of this unconscious patient. And he said to her, ma'am, I need you to help me. We can't get your heart to beat. And he said to that young lady, please tell your heart to beat again. And that pastor said instantly, her heart began to beat. And he and the doctor, they were, they were so shocked. And he looked around the table and, and he shrugged because he said, I've never seen anything like this before. And everyone in that operating room was impacted by what had happened because someone just said, hey, I need your help. Tell your heart to beat again. And I want to say to you, why don't you tell your heart to beat again? Why don't you tell your faith to believe again? Why don't you tell your spirit to rise up and believe again in the power of God? Why don't you tell your mind to dream again? and your spirit to breathe hope and life and strength again. I want to pray with you. I want you to bow your heads wherever you are. I want to just pray with you that you could hear the whisper of God saying to your heart, heart, I want you to beat again. Mind, I want you to dream again. Spirit, I want you to breathe life again. Just bow your heads and pray with me. Maybe you've, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Or maybe you're at a crossroads today and you need to say a next yes right now. Just pray this with me, Father. I come to you with open heart. And I want you to do open heart surgery on me and give me a brand new heart. You said in your word that you would give me a heart of flesh you would remove that old heart of stone. Come on, just pray this right, right there wherever you are. Lord, touch my heart. Breathe on me. I want my heart to beat again. I want my mind and spirit to dream again. I give my heart to you. And I say yes to you in the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, right there, just say yes to Jesus. Just say yes. Listen, I know this. But even in this room, our yeses are different. Even in this room, our burdens are different. Our, our discouragement, our pressure is different. And wherever you are, you're, you're facing something different than the person in the next house down the street. But whatever you're going through, Jesus knows where you are. And you just say yes to him. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Wash me. I say yes to you in Jesus' name. You can take your giving instrument, whether you give through envelope. And some people were asking me yesterday, do you mind if I mail in my tithe? I'm still, I still like using the mail. And there, there are even some who, who walk uh, here and, and hand deliver. They walk up to the door and hand deliver. But if you give through text to give or you give through the giving envelope, just hold that in your hand and I want to pray. Father, add your blessing and multiplied favor to your children now. I pray for people who have lost their jobs. I pray for people who have lost their income. I pray for people who are wondering and struggling. I feel like the man with the withered hand. 
They feel like the situation where they've just got bad news and someone has, has come and, and given them some bad news. Father, I speak faith and hope and help in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you. I love you in Jesus' name. It's been my pleasure to get to preach to you the Word of God. Go with me through the book of Mark. On your mark, get set. I'll be talking with you, and we're going to meet in small groups, and we're going to do a virtual race. Find out information about that on our website. It's a walking. I asked him, I said, does it have to be a, a running race? I'm not sure I feel like running, but I'll ride my bike or I'll walk. But we're going to do a virtual race together, and we're going to see God bring us great victory. I bless you in Jesus' name. Have a God week. And until I see you next time, on your mark, and let's go in Jesus' name.